Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. Well, it's good to see you here this morning. Uh, We started a series called Words to Live By for this summer. And what we're looking at is kind of nine of the most popular passages in the Bible over the next nine weeks. We thought it was a good series for this summer. Um, And uh, and so last week we talked about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this week we're looking at Psalm 23. And these, these are words that we, we live by. A lot of us have you know, memorized these scriptures. We'll probably see them. Uh, they're, they're very common. Uh, what we wanted to do is kind of take just a deeper look at kind of the context surrounding uh, different passages. And um, I wanted to start today with these numbers uh, behind me. 911. When we hear 911, what kind of comes to our minds? Does it trigger something? We think emergency, right? These numbers have a way of kind of triggering an emotion or an experience in our mind. Uh, you could also see it as 9-11. You hear the words 9-11, you think tragedy. You hear 9-11, you think emergency, you hear 9-11. There, there's something about like these, uh, these numbers uh, that are symbolic of an experience that we've all gone through, and now these numbers have a deeper meaning. I remember when, when 9-11 happened, if we go back uh, to, the, to that day, I was in college, kind of dates me for some of the older people. Um, I, I was a freshman in college in Indiana, and I was in Spanish class. And I just remember the Spanish teacher getting some sort of text on his phone. It was back before smartphones. And uh, said, it looks like some sort of bomb went off in New York City. And we had no idea really what happened. And I remember like walking out of that class and the whole campus just going, it just running into chaos. It was just, it was bizarre to see. No one really knew what was going on. It, 9-11 now stirs all of these emotions inside of us. I remember finally when, when President Bush, when President Bush uh, addresses the nation, um, he starts talking about kind of what's happened. And as he's kind of sharing kind of what has happened and then how do we move forward from it, uh, the president quotes scripture. And he quotes Psalm 23. And looks at, he doesn't quote the whole psalm, but he, but he, but he brings about uh, this psalm which, which is a very common, common song. In Psalm 23, maybe you've heard the words of it but, it, but it has a way of also triggering something inside of us. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pretty common passage. It's a passage that we hear oftentimes at funerals. It's a passage that we hear uh, when we go through great turmoil. For the president, he uh, reminds us of this passage. And I think that just like the, the numbers 
911 or 911 trigger some sort of emotion, a reminder. In the same way, Psalm 23 has a way of doing that, and it has kind of the opposite effect. I mean, Psalm 23 is kind of known as the psalm that calms the soul. It's the psalm that calms the soul. It's a psalm that we, we learn early on in our lives. For me, it was one of the first passages of Scripture that I memorized because of this ability to calm the soul. Max Lucado says this about it. it. says, Do more beloved words exist than Psalm 23, framed and hung in hospital halls, scratched on prison walls, quoted by the young and whispered by the dying. In these lines, sailors have found a harbor. The frightened have found a father. The strugglers have found a friend. Has anyone not heard these words before? Maybe the most common passage in Scripture is Psalm 23. And when we read it, what we're doing is we're tapping into this poem, this song, this prayer that uh, most scholars would say is around 3,000 years old. And it's held strong and it's held true of our relationship with God. Other words that have been said about this psalm, Henry Ward Beecher in his Life Thoughts writes this of Psalm 23. It says, It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. And like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. But nor is its work done. It will go singing to your children and my children and to their children through all the generations of time. Nor will it fold its wings till the last, last pilgrim is safe and time ended. And then it shall fly back to the bosom of God, whence it issued, and sound on, mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which make heaven musical forever. Very poetic words on this Psalm 23. Psalm 23, words for us to live by. We think about how uh, it was written by David. Uh, most all scholars agree the author of this is King David. David, the shepherd boy who would become king. What an interesting life this man lived. Uh, when we think about where David came from, where he ended up, uh, to rise from the humble beginnings of a shepherd uh, to becoming one of the most powerful men on earth. When you think about kind of like what this guy experiences in his life, King David, we know the stories, right? He, uh, he was a shepherd, and he would, he would fend off beasts, wild beasts. Uh, uh, he had courage uh, to protect his sheep. Um, early on in his life, uh, his countrymen are at war against the Philistines, and he goes and he joins them courageously, gets into a, uh, a situation uh, where he, he defeats Goliath, right? Defeats this giant of the Philistines becomes famous, um, starts to rise in popularity, rise in his leadership, uh, uh, becomes so popular that, this, that his king, Saul, is threatened by him. People sing of David's praises. They say, you know, Saul, our king's killed thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands, um, which is interesting that, like, that, you know, they're glorifying him because of it, right? 
Um, he lives in a very wild, violent, volatile time. He's always at war. We find him hiding out in caves, uh, seeking cover. We find him at one point pretending like he's lost his mind so people would kind of leave him alone. Eventually, he becomes king. As he becomes king, uh, we find that uh, he doesn't just live happily ever after, right? He still has his ups and downs, his struggles, um, commits a, just a, a terrible crime uh, with Bathsheba, tries to cover it up by having her husband murdered. Um, when, when the prophet Nathan calls him on it, Nathan's terrified that, Nathan, that David's going to take his life, so he builds up this story, this scenario, presents it to David, says, what do you think should happen in this scenario? And David said, whoever does done the harm to this person should die as well. And Nathan's like, that's what I thought you would say, but... This is about you. Um, David's a very violent man. He has the whole world. At times, feels like he loses his soul. Has ups, has downs. And yet, through all of this, God says, this is a man after my own heart. And when we read the life of David, it's one of the most compelling characters in all of Scripture. But what we find is a person who's in relationship with God through it all. Most scholars would say that when Psalm 23 was written, it's written not as with, by David as a, a shepherd boy, but it's probably written towards the end of his life. And as David kind of considers all of the experiences that he has, the ups, the downs, the ways that he's let God down, the ways that he's just done these absolutely terrible things to people, the ways that he's seen God provide for him, forgive him, not give up on him, he starts to drop down what that experience of life with God is. And he calls God his shepherd. So this is not only a psalm that soothes the soul, but this is a psalm that expresses life with God. What it is like to live life with God. David's the author, and he writes of the Lord as his shepherd. It's also interesting the imagery that, that this brings up, uh, calling, calling the Lord a shepherd. Uh, Throughout scripture, we find this theme of, of shepherding and sheep. Back in the creation story, we have Cain and Abel uh, with the profession of, of being a shepherd. God's people always tend to be um, gatherers of, of, of sheep, herders. Uh, in, in the story of, of uh, Joseph, the coat of many colors, he's out as a shepherd before his brothers sell him into slavery. They go down into Egypt. We know that the Egyptians don't want anything to do with God's people because they're shepherds. They see them as like this lower social class. When Jesus comes, the angels appear to the shepherds. There's this kind of like ongoing theme throughout scripture of, of this, almost this, this metaphor of a shepherd and its sheep. And one of the names that God's people have for God is Jehovah, Ra, Jehovah Rohi, which is Lord our shepherd. And it's very much tied to like, the life that they've lived throughout their history of understanding shepherds and sheep. And when they want to relate to God and understand what God is like, they say that God is like our shepherd. For David to say that, it's interesting because I think most, shepherd, most shepherds are young. David's a shepherd as he's younger. Most shepherds are probably somewhere between 10 and 13 years old. The older you get, you kind of move up and then you are in charge of other shepherds. But when David talks about his relationship with God, he says... Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. This great mighty king is reflecting back on how he's experienced God in this life. And he calls him his shepherd. This psalm expresses uh, a number of different things about our relationship with God, who is called our shepherd. Uh, the first is that 
the shepherd knows us. When David says that the Lord is my shepherd, it means that there's this knowledge of God to us. That's a very simple thought, but it's also very complex when you think of this infinite God, this creator God who's sovereign, who's mighty, uh, who in ways is, is, uh, is indescribable. And yet David says there's also this intimate character of God who he knows us. He knows everything about us. We see the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep, what you find is a unique relationship. There's a story uh, that takes place um, over in the Middle East. There's always the tension there between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Uh, The story goes, uh, Israelis go into this town and they kind of uh, confiscate all of uh, the Palestinians' uh, uh, possessions. They're trying to figure out kind of if there's any terrorists here. So they take all of the the possessions, which include sheep and goats, and they, they bring them to the middle of the town. And they're like, we're going to redistribute them, but we want to figure out like, who the bad guys are here. And so there's this whole inter- interesting interaction going on and the tension that, that happens over there. And there was this widow who's a Palestinian. And she comes to the Israeli soldiers and she says, um, you know, my, my husband's gone. He's, he's was, died in this conflict and, and I'm by myself and I have my son. He's this young boy and he's a shepherd. And I know that you're confiscating everyone's possessions, but all we have are, are 12 sheep. And... And we, we would ask that you would return them. It's our only way that we survive in life. And Israeli soldiers look at her and they say, you know, we're going to redistribute all of this, but there's no way that we can do that right now because they're in this pen of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheep. And the, the widow says, well, if I can find my sheep, would you return them to me? And the Israeli soldiers kind of chuckle and they're like, sure, if you think you can find them. So she goes to the pen, sees this huge herd of sheep, and her 11-year-old son comes and he brings a flute and he starts playing. And the story goes that all the sheep kind of look up, they hear the sound of the flute. And then the sheep who are most familiar, the sheep that know this is their shepherd, kind of emerge out of this crowd. Hundreds of sheep, 12 of them come forward and surround this boy. And she says, these are our sheep, we're going to take them. And the, and the Israeli soldiers just are like, you know, they're just completely surprised and shocked. And they say, well, sh- well sure, go ahead. There's something unique about the relationship between sheep and a shepherd. And uh, when you think about, like, sheep, they're not necessarily thought of as the most intelligent animals, right? We always think of sheep as followers. They'll follow each other off a cliff. But there's something very unique about the, the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd, as this story shows. And as David is talking about life with God, he's using this metaphor, which I think is interesting. Because us as humans, we may not be like the the wisest of people. We're easily led astray. Uh, We don't like to think that, but when we're most honest, uh, we know that we could be quite foolish. But what this relationship talks about is that when we have an intimate relationship with our shepherd, we experience the goodness of life. For sheep without a shepherd are lost, but when they know the shepherd, they respond to the flute. They experience life in abundance. They might not be the, the wisest or smartest animals, but when they have a good shepherd in their life, their life is quite fulfilling. And this is the metaphor David uses with us and how we relate to God. We may be like sheep, but when there's this good shepherd that is involved in our life that knows us intimately, 
He's going to look out for us in life. And if we let him, he'll give us life abundantly, life to the full. This psalm talks about the shepherd, and it says he knows us. He knows us intimately. There's a relationship between us and God. He provides for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God provides for us. As an American, as a, as a capitalist, this is like good news, right? Like I, I'm very into God when he provides for me. Like that's what I want to hear. But when you think about like the provision of a shepherd for his sheep, how the shepherd guides sheep to green pastures, the shepherd guides sheep to refreshing still waters, the shepherd knows what's best for his flock. In the same way, when we rely on God, uh, God takes care of us. He watches over us. He provides for us. He knows us and he provides for us, and then he restores us. And I think this is good news. When we think about kind of like what causes anxiety and strife in the culture that we live in, we think about the things that we pursue. Like we want God to provide for us, but it's never enough. We're constantly working harder, trying to get to the next level, trying to get to a better lifestyle, and it causes all sorts of anxiety as we're working and we're pushing and we're trying to, to move forward. And so instead of trusting just God's provision, there's kind of this angst that comes as we strive. And the unintended consequences of that is it leaves our soul weary. Something deep inside of us feels like it's withering. And we just got caught up in this culture around us. Not that the culture is evil, but that we get caught up in it. And it creates these unhealthy things in our life where we're striving and withering. And when it comes to this relationship with God, this good shepherd who knows us, it talks about how he provides for us and then he restores our soul. The things inside of us that are withering, God brings life back into him. Breathes life into us. He knows us, he provides for us, he restores us. And he guides us. He guides us. Scripture's full of this idea that, that God is our guide. When we're in tune with him, uh, when we seek his will in our life, our life unfolds. There's passages like, his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. One of the imageries I've, I've heard about shepherding as the shepherd guides is that when sheep would be walking along a path, shepherds will throw rocks out in front of the sheep. The sheep are trying to avoid the rocks. They don't want to get hit by it. They also don't want to step on it, so they'll redirect their path. It's been said that as God is our shepherd, when we experience life, when we're surrendered to him, life might be similar. There's certain things that are thrown in front of us that redirect us. And initially, they might seem like they're, they're bad, they're harmful. We don't understand why we experience these experience bumps in the road or things that throw us off our path. But when God is our shepherd, it's, it's possible that God is actually guiding us through life to where we really need to go. And when the Lord is our shepherd, he guides us, which allows us to face any circumstance and experience and have it work out for the good. The Lord is our shepherd. He guides us. He protects us. He protects us. I love the imagery of this as it says that he protects us. Uh, 
He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And what's interesting is it doesn't say that the shepherd keeps us from going through the valley of the shadow of death. It says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm not a shepherd. I don't know a whole lot about sheep. But my understanding is that when shepherds are moving their herds, they try to take a safe path, but there's some places they have to go to get the sheep through that can be dangerous. Whether it's a place that there's a high population of predators, whether it's a rocky road, um, they know they have to take the herd through the passage. But the shepherd will be with the sheep more intimately in those moments, knowing that danger is near. And in the same way, God is with us in life, in the valley of the shadow of death. We go through these experiences that feel dangerous, and it's in those moments where we're probably our most desperate that God is the closest to us. And when David talks about his own life and what he experienced, constantly being at war, constantly having people seek his own life, seek his destruction, his own family sometimes seeking his destruction, he understands that even though he goes through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with him. God protects us and comforts us. He comforts us. Another image that's used in this passage is this image of oil, anointing our head with oil. Whenever I kind of think of this idea of anointing, my thought is like, this is, you know, you're, you're anointed at a, at a young age and you're called to do something great. Like you have an anointing. Right now, our, our kids' class is going through uh, the names of God, understanding the characteristics of God. And today, it just so happened that they're also talking about God as a shepherd. This week, as a staff, Tyler was kind of preparing the message, and he was talking about this idea of anointing. And what he was saying, Tyler was describing this to me, is that what the shepherd would do at the end of the day, go around, and he would see the flock, go to the sheep, and he'd find sheep that have had a bad day. Maybe they got tripped up, maybe they got attacked by some sort of predator, and they would have open wounds. And what the shepherd would do is he would take this olive oil and he would come to the sheep and he would just cover the sheep's wounds with the oil. It would cleanse them, it would heal them, and it would bring about kind of a protecting balm on the sheep. And Tyler's like, oh, no, no. What's going on here is when God's anointing us, is there's a tendency for him to come and to kind of look at all the things that have happened to us, the things that wound us, the things uh, that create blemishes on us. And he anoints those things with oil. God anoints us with oil. There's this comforting that comes when the Lord is our shepherd. And this is a daily thing that the shepherd would do. What I found in my life, there's, I go through kind of seasons that are great, some seasons that are rough. Um, and sometimes I get done with a, just a really difficult season. And it's like I just need to come to God with that healing and anointing. Allow the good shepherd to just start to cleanse my wounds, cover me back up. This is the imagery David uses. He anoints our head with oil. And then finally, he exalts me. He exalts me. He says, my cup overflows. Again, you know, my thought was like, the image of this, my cup overflowing, means I'm, I'm drinking something and it's a good thing. And it's never running out because God keeps filling it up. And Tyler's like, oh, no, you got that wrong. I'm the, I'm the sheep expert. Here's what's really happening. He says what would happen is at the end of the day, a really hot day, uh, the sheep would come to the shepherd, exhausted, 
maybe ill, heat stroke, who knows what sheep go through. But the shepherd takes the sheep and gets this bin of water, this huge cup of water, and would dunk the sheep's head in the water. And it would just refresh, this cool water would just refresh the sheep. As he would dunk the, the sheep's head in the water, the pail or the cup would just overflow. And there's this refreshing dunk. I was like, that sounds like almost like baptism, right? This dunk where, where the shepherd dunks the sheep's head, and it brings about kind of refreshment. Tyler was like, that's what's going on here. I was like, thank you, Tyler the shepherd. <laughs> but what a great image. Our, our cup overflows. There's this exalting in life with God. He dunks our head. Our cup overflows. There's this refreshment that comes when God is our shepherd. For David, David, who's gone through some of the most amazing experiences a person can go through in life, towards the end of his life, as a king, he reflects. He says, you want to know what life with God is like? Because God is, God is a good shepherd. We are his flock. We are his sheep. Because of his infinite intimate knowledge of us, no matter what we go through in life, we have this good shepherd taking care of us. That's good news. The words of Jesus in John chapter 10, he also uses this metaphor of a good shepherd. I just want to close with these thoughts. When Jesus is talking about his role in this world, among all other things, he talks about being a good shepherd. John 10, 7 says, Therefore, Jesus said to them, said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, the thief comes to kill, still, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks, and the flock, is, the flock and it scatters. And the man runs away because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Just say, he is this good shepherd. Which leads us to this question. When we consider this passage of Psalm 23, we consider our relationship with God. Do we allow God to be a shepherd? Our shepherd? It's a question that we need to reflect on. Is the Lord your shepherd? When we think of our relationship with God, one of a shepherd and its sheep, it's a very powerful metaphor. This passage is about life with God, communion with him. Maybe you've lived life uh, without this relationship with God. This is all kind of a brand new concept that God would be shepherd, that God would be provider, sustainer, healer, protector, guide. And maybe today you need to just reflect on what that means, God's role, God's role in your life. Maybe throughout your life you've had this relationship with God, uh, but it seems more distant at times, or it seems more a source of frustration. 
I don't know where you're at in your journey, but today, today the challenge is this, to allow God to be your good shepherd. To trust that he knows you, that he provides for you, that he restores your soul, that he guides you, that he protects you, that he exalts you. Tim's going to come back, and we're going to close in a time of communion. I want to just invite you to wrestle that question. Is God my shepherd? And do I trust that he gives me life to the full? Each week we close with our time, our time with, a, with communion. Uh, communion, uh, different names for it. Some call it the Eucharist, the elements, the Lord's Supper. Uh, here at Desert City, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to the table. For us, there's something sacred that happens in this moment as we remember the work of God in this world. For us, the communion uh, for Christians throughout the world is symbolic. We take a piece of bread, and it represents the incarnation, that God became man and walked among us. And we think of the story of the cross, we understand that God's body was broken open on the cross. And we take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ, the blood that was poured out and shed on the cross. As a church, we believe that as God breaks himself open and pours himself out on the cross, he brings about life for us. This is a story that we all belong to, this great love, this great sacrifice. And today we come to the communion table and we remember what God did. But we also come today considering his role in our life as shepherd. And wherever you are today, we invite you to trust that God is your shepherd. Let's him will come up and close us with a song. Let's take time to respond. And when you're ready to move to communion, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, this, this old psalm that's been sung by your people for thousands of years. A psalm that was written by David. A psalm that reminds us that you are good, that you are the giver of life. A passage, Lord, that triggers something in our mind that calms our soul, that gives us peace, that allows us to trust your sovereignty. Lord, today I would pray that this psalm would take a meaning that triggers something in our life. When we hear the words, Psalm 23, Lord, we're reminded that you are our shepherd, that you know us, that you're involved in our life in a way that's intimate you care for us. Lord, today I pray that we'd experience that closeness from you and the goodness that comes from that relationship. Be our shepherd today, Lord. Your sons and we pray.